0: Memorial Weekend, car shows, all kinds of neat things going on. You know, but Memorial Weekend really is about memorials. It's about remembering. And I just want to take a moment. Is there anybody in the room that served in the military? Anybody in the room that served in the military? Would you stand up for just a minute? Bob's standing back there. I know Bob served in the military as well. i just take a moment and thank you. Thank you for your service. Thank you for (coughs) defending our country. And it doesn't really matter if you were the cook, you know. You were still there, and you still helped defend our country. And I just wanted to honor you this morning. So thank you very much. We're going to continue with the uh, promises of the Holy Spirit. This morning, I want to talk about a, a promise that is really kind of one of the the most important ones that the Holy Spirit does for us, and sometimes I think the one we kind of take for granted, the one we don't really lean into very much. And that's the idea of of the Holy Spirit guiding us, leading us, uh, our dependence on him to get us where we're supposed to be in Christ. Stephen Smalia Grant tells this story. He says, I remember Christmas of 1980 when I was just nine years old. My mom, who was a secretary in a small three-person company, got this amazing Christmas bonus, a trip for her and my brother and me to Disneyland, a plane, a hotel, all covered, and even some cash to go along with that. Her boss was not a Christian, but wow, did he have a spirit of generosity. We got off the plane in Los Angeles and immediately felt scared, overwhelmed, and more than just a little bit lost. A single mom on her first trip outside of Canada, second time on an airplane, a nine-year-old and a 12-year-old, and there, right where we came through customs, was a man holding a sign that said, Grants. My mom joked as we walked past him, that's my name, but I'm sure you aren't looking for a mom with two kids. Wendy, he asked. Yep, it's you I'm looking for. I'm here to guide you through the airport to help you find your hotel, to make sure you have everything you need. Three Canadians feeling, well, pretty lost and overwhelmed in the middle of the L.A. airport until a guide steps forward and says, follow me, I'll lead you. He said he took us to find our baggage, then to to the bus to get to Anaheim, and then told us exactly where to get off. You know what? This is what the Holy Spirit does for us as we walk through this life in Christ. He is our guide. He is the one that takes us by the hand and walks us through. Romans 8.13 says, For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, then you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship. And by him we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. The Holy Spirit is the one who takes us by the hand, who guides us, who leads us. This is the promise, and along with, well, the way most promises work, folks, Is that they have conditions. I want to talk about what it means this morning to lean into the Holy Spirit. What are the conditions that have to be met in order for us to receive the guidance that He wants desperately to give us? So let's take a moment and let's pray before we jump into this. Heavenly Father, we just come before you this morning knowing, Father, that you have these amazing gifts. Like Stacy read this morning out of Jeremiah 29 11. You have these amazing plans for us. Plans to give us hope in the future. Plans to walk us through this life. And you plan to do it hand in hand. That's your plan. And we want to cooperate with that plan. So open our eyes. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to believe and receive this morning. In Jesus name. Amen talk about leaning into the Holy Spirit here. The choice to live by the sinful nature brings death. That's what that passage says. If you live according to the sinful nature, then you will die. It goes along with Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. We earn death, okay? It's It's a wage that's paid you for what you earned. It's kind of a bad deal you know, when you stop and think about it, nobody wants to earn death, but that's exactly what our sin does. It earns us death. So, if we live according to the sinful nature, it says that we will die. That's true on more than one level, though. Now, I think we tend to think of that particular passage and how that reads as pertaining to people who are living in their sin. They're unredeemed. They're they're unsaved. They don't know God. Those people, by their own choice, actually choose death as a reward. They choose hell. Hell is a place that is locked from the inside. People choose it because we have every opportunity to choose otherwise. While that's true, that's not what the passage is talking about. Think about this with me for a moment. Paul is talking to the church in Rome. He's not talking to the city of Rome. He's talking to the church in Rome. He's talking to the believers in Rome, not the unbelieving. So think about this for a minute with me. There's at least two possibilities, maybe three here. Either Paul is speaking to those in the church that claim to belong to Christ, but they don't live like they belong to Christ, meaning that their, their lives didn't change when they accepted Jesus. They still do all the things they did before. They lie, they cheat, they steal, they hate, they gossip, they manipulate, whatever. There's a whole list of those. You could go on and on. There's nobody fooled by these people. Least of all, God. They are described in Isaiah, Isaiah 29, verse 13. These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In other words, they don't belong to me, they're just doing lip service. Now, these people may be in the church, but they're not in Christ. We don't really know if there were people like that in the church at Rome. There's nothing in the passage that necessarily points them out or shows them for what they are. But you can kind of infer that from the passage that he might have been talking to people like this. I'm pretty sure there are plenty of them in churches across America today. Even more than that, there's the vast majority of people in America that claim to be Christians today, but you won't find them in church on any given Sunday or any other day of the week for that matter. It's possible that Paul is speaking to people just like that. But you know what? I kind of doubt it. Nothing else really talks about those people in the book of Romans. So I have a feeling he's talking to people like us, people who are believers and they want their life to reflect Christ. That's the other possibility that I see here. And I think it's far more likely. Paul may be speaking about people that have made an honest and heartfelt confession of faith. They've repented of their sin only to find themselves still mired in the lies and the wounds of their life with no idea how to break those strongholds of the enemy. They haven't yet discovered freedom from things like worry. Anybody worry here? Anger. Anybody get angry here? I love what what, uh, Jan Shared this morning in in the communion time. That was actually written by a man named Max Lucado. If you ever have an opportunity to read Max Lucado's books, they're amazing books. And he's got a whole bunch of them. Basically, he takes his sermon series and he turns them into books. But he's just an amazing... He has an amazing way of putting things that make you really think. Uh, Jesus is joy. And and when we go a different direction, folks, we end up adverse to God's plan for us. So worry... Anger, those things aren't where he wants us to be. Negativity, Jesus didn't spend any time in negativity. You can name a whole lot of different things that fit there. And most of them have some bearing on our life in some way, shape, or form. Unfortunately, that means our lives sometimes look like a roller coaster of faith, or at least a roller coaster of obedience. We're kind of up and down. Maybe that sounds like your life this morning. I don't know, maybe you can identify with those same struggles. I want to address that in a minute, but before I do, I want to ask a question. Did anyone here sin last week or during 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 the week anytime? Me, me, pick me. Anybody didn't raise their hand probably just lied, so you got to raise your hand. <laughs> Nobody here, okay, if you're, if you're thinking about it, did you give in to fear, to worry, to anxiety, to stress? Did you, I love this one, did you drink too much or eat too much? You know, that's, that's also sin. I'm guilty. I had that fourth piece of pizza, I shouldn't have had it. I know I shouldn't have had it, but it was just, yeah, did you criticize rather than encourage? Yeah, we have a, a, this huge capacity to see the faults of other people, other systems. How many of you talked about the government this week? Was it a good conversation? Mm, okay. But Romans tells us we're supposed to pray for our government. We're supposed to uphold our government's laws. We should honor them, Right? Okay, well, we just stepped outside of who we're supposed to be then, didn't we? If you did any of those things, or a million other ones you could talk about, there are at least a thousand ways you can miss the perfect mark of righteousness for your life. And if you miss just one, then you have some room here to think about what Paul is talking about. And you ought to consider this. Maybe your issues are not habitual, but they're still sin. They're part of a sinful nature you once had before you gave your life to Christ. And it was meant to be discarded permanently, but we keep going back to it. And I hate this illustration, but it's a biblical illustration. It's like a dog going back to its vomit, okay? We go back to that old nature, and we do it on a pretty regular basis, this is what Paul is talking about. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. You say, no, 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 wait, 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 wait a minute, Scott. Just because I sin doesn't mean that I'm living according to the sinful nature, right? I'm saved. Death is defeated in Christ. I'm hidden in Christ. I'm justified. I'm glorified, right? Yes, you are. Yes. But let me ask you this. When you lost your temper, when you gave in to worry when you criticized rather than encouraged, did you choose that sin? There's this, this thing in Christianity where you know, we like to blame somebody else, okay? The devil made me do it. You know what? You take the devil out of the equation, you still have yourself. And I don't know about you, but I'm really good at getting myself in the wrong place. The enemy doesn't always make us do that. We make the choice to sin. Okay, so if it was your choice to do whatever it was that you did that led you to miss the mark of perfect righteousness, if you did it, if it sounds like you at all, then this verse is just as much for you as it would be for any person that is in captivity to some lie or stronghold of the enemy that keeps them actually falling short of the mark of righteousness. Why? Because this verse is about solutions, not about problems. It is about a cure, not about condemnation. And you need to see that because it sounds like it's about condemnation, but it's not. Verse 13 says, For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But, here's the but is huge here, okay? And I'm not talking about what follows you down the road, okay? The but is huge here. It's like, however, if you live by the Spirit, then you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now, understand what he's saying here. This word die that he's talking about, if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. In the the Greek, that's apodnisko, and it means to die off both literally and figuratively. In this case, if Paul is speaking to believers, I think, which is pretty obvious, then I would say that the word die is figurative and not literal here. If you live by the sinful nature, you will be like the walking dead. It's a figure of speech. You won't be in the grave, that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about that kind of death. But you will definitely not be living either. You'll be kind of a spiritual zombie. Non-responsive to the Holy Spirit. You ever watch a zombie movie? I've watched a zombie movie once or twice. I'm not really fond of, of those kind of movies because they scare me. <laughs> but they're usually non-responsive in some way, shape, or form to something, Right? it's like they've lost their soul. That's the whole idea behind the zombie. It's kind of lost their way, lost their soul. They're non-responsive. That's what he's talking about here. Non-responsive to the Holy Spirit. If you live according to the sinful nature, you will be non-responsive to God. In other words, your relationship with God, it's like throwing a brick wall between you. You'll be non-responsive to God. But if by the Spirit the Holy Spirit's guidance, the Holy Spirit's power in your life, you put to death those sinful things, the misdeeds of the body, then then you will live. Then you will live. And you won't just live any life. You'll live a truly abundant and truly magnificent life. I challenged you last week was something that came out of uh, one of our, our, our Graham books, I believe it was. And I don't know if you spent any time thinking about this this last week. I hope that you did. What would it take for you to believe that God is unceasingly magnificent towards you? That was the challenge, to think on that. What would it take for you to believe that God is unceasingly magnificent towards you? How many people thought about that this last week? Man, I thought about it a lot. I love some of the responses some of the guys came up with in our, in our study. Probably the one we talked about the most was surrender. What would it take? I would have to surrender. I would have to give it all up. Everything that I am for everything that he is. Oswald Chambers said it, my utmost for his highest. I love that. Irrevocable surrender is how he put it giving up everything that I am for all that he is. What, a, what an exchange. That is really the great exchange. When you stop and think about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, that is the great exchange. Now, like I said, I don't know if you thought about that this week, but here's, here's the deal. When we are willing to surrender it all, irrevocable, complete surrender then we open ourselves up to stop living life like a zombie, okay, with barriers between us and the will of God. Barriers between us and what Jan talked about, amazing joy. We surrender, we get all of that stuff given to us because we allow the Holy Spirit to walk us into it. We allow him to guide us into that truth for our lives. You know, the greatest truth for your life is who God is for you. That is the greatest truth of your life, to discover who God is for you and then to walk in that knowledge. And that's the Holy Spirit wants to guide you in. So if you haven't discovered that yet and you're putting up barriers that your sin creates, then you'll miss the mark of being able to truly live. That's what Paul is talking about here. He's not talking about literal death. He's talking about missing life. One day, a young minister in West Virginia was being escorted through a coal mine. At the entrance of one of the dim passageways, he noticed a beautiful white flower growing out of all the black dust that invaded the flower's environment. I don't know if you've ever seen a miner or a coal mine, but they're dirty things. Pointing to the flower, he said, how can it blossom with such color, with such radiance in this dirty coal mine? Well, he was told, throw some coal dust on it and you'll see for yourself. He did, and he was surprised that the fine sooty particles slid right off the snowy white petals, leaving the plant just as clean and unstained as before. The surface of the petals was so smooth that the grit and the grime had nothing to hold on to. The dirtiness that surrounded the plant couldn't get a grip on the flower and stain, or even worse, overtake and kill the flower. You know what? Our hearts are in some ways like the flower. You cannot always control the surroundings. You cannot always control what gets thrown at you from this sinful world. And we live in an era where there's a whole lot of filth that gets thrown. We live in an era and in a a place where we're saturated with things like self-indulgence. And though our circumstances might be something that we can't change, our reactions and outlook on them, I think we're in full control of. By God's grace and by the power of the cleansing blood of Christ, through the work of the Holy Spirit, it's possible for us to live a life that's clean. It's possible for us to live a life that's truly living, according to our passage this morning. I, I, I love the idea that the Scripture puts forward. Jesus talks, Jesus, actually, Jesus, Peter, and Paul talk about the same thing, it, just in different ways. Jesus said it this way. The evil one is in this world, but he has nothing on me. It's like Jesus saying, I'm the flower, that the dust can't, can't even hold on to. It just slides off. In Christ, you were given the ability to allow the dust to slide off. No matter what the enemy throws at you, no matter how he throws it at you, no matter what it looks like, no matter the circumstances, in Christ, you have the ability to be like slip and slide, okay? It can't stick to you. How does that happen? Well, the promises. For that, like most promises, are conditional. This one isn't any different. And I think the promise here is pretty clear. Verse 14 says, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. That's the promise. The condition is allowing the Holy Spirit to put to death the misdeeds of the body, which is sin. And how does that work? That's what we want. Who, would, who here wouldn't want to live in perpetual righteousness. I would love to live in perpetual righteousness. I would love to actually live in the center of God's will all the time for my life. Anybody else want that? Who here doesn't want to have and walk in the identity of being a son of God? I love names in the Bible because names have meaning in the Bible. To be a son of God, according to this passage, means that I get to be an heir with Christ, that he's my brother and I get the inheritance that he gets because he gives it to me. The condition here is pretty clear, though. In order for that to happen, I need to lean into the Holy Spirit whenever I am tempted to go in a different direction. This is what it means for the Holy Spirit to be your guide. It means for you to take direction from him, to discover his will and then to follow it. I once taught a class on discerning the will of God for your life. It was amazing. I had all this information on how to figure out God's will for your life. Did it line up with scripture? Did what did mature Christian counsel say about that decision? Was there God's providence in the event? Did God provide? Do you have inner peace about the decision? I had a whole list, about 13 different things to go through. It was a great class, and everyone who took the class walked away knowing exactly how to discern the will of God for their life. Not. It wasn't that those things were bad, folks, or even wrong. They're not. They're actually pretty sound thinking. But the one thing that was missing in my whole class was this the Holy Spirit. The part of the Godhead that is supposed to lead and supposed to guide us into all truth wasn't even part of this discussion. That was before I figured out that I needed the Holy Spirit in my life in order to live this life. Listen, folks, we've been given the most amazing promise. So really, it's a gift. That class I taught, it was like handing a missionary a map to get them through the jungle of life. If they read the map correctly, they might make it through. Well, of course, unless they stepped in quicksand or they met a hungry lion or worse yet, they met a hungry native with shrunken heads around his neck. A map is great, folks. It really is great. Like I said, it's great information that I gave those people. But a guide is better. A guide that never gets lost, can't lose a fight, and will never leave you or forsake you. What could be better than that? And yet, do we ask the guide to lead? Do we follow in his footsteps? A student named Steve Winger from Lubbock, Texas, was taking a challenging class in logic. The course and the teacher were known for exacting and demanding exams, the final exam was coming up and the professor mercifully told the class that each student would be permitted to bring in a single 8 by 11 inch sheet with as much information as they could put on that one sheet for helping them during the test. <laughs> on exam day, each student came to class clutching their precious pieces of paper with as much information as possible written on them. Some students had crammed lines and lines of font so tiny and so numerous that the single sheet that you had, you had had to wonder if they could even read the thing. It was so small. But Steve walked into that class with a single blank sheet of paper and a friend. The friend was a senior student who had an A in logic. Steve bent down, placed that single sheet of paper on the floor next to his desk. His expert friend stood on the paper. The professor noticed the extra body in the room and he asked what's going on and Steve piped up and he said, you said we could bring in whatever we could fit on a single sheet of paper to help on this test. Well, this is my help and he can fit on the paper. He had followed the instructions to the letter and he was the only student in the class that day that scored an A because he had an expert guide him, standing right next to him. The Holy Spirit is like that. Standing alongside us, supporting us, guiding us, so we can get an A in life. Holy Spirit, the word for Holy Spirit is often translated from the Greek as paraclete. A paraclete Is actually two words that mean to come alongside, para, like parallel, to come alongside. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He comes alongside of us to help us walk through every test that life can throw at us. What's more, this guide gives gifts, which is really cool. He walks you into a priceless identity as a child of God. Verse 15, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba means daddy. It's it's an intimate term. The Holy Spirit is here to guide us into intimacy with God. Without a guide, folks, fear reigns supreme. Fear is one of the great tools of the enemy. Fear is what happens any time we take our attention away from our guide. A couple named Kurt and Jerry, they went out on an African safari and they learned a lesson about following the instructions of their guide. One day, the guide took them out to find an elephant herd, but he made them promise in advance to obey his rules before they could even go on the trip. He gave them some very specific rules. He said, first, if I say run, run. You run. Don't pause. Don't stop. Don't take a picture. Don't think you can hide and don't drop to your knees. You just run. That's law number one. Number two, when you run, when I say run, you follow me. The guide said, you follow me exactly. You put your feet in my footprints. You follow me step by step. Don't try to forge your own trail because in a panic, you'll either get lost in the jungle or you'll step on things you wish you hadn't stepped on. You run when I say run and you follow my steps exactly. And sure enough, They came upon an elephant herd, and it stampeded. The guide said, run, and some of the people froze in their tracks from fear and panic. The guide said, run again, and Jerry said, at that moment, in spite of my fear, I had to move forward. I had to go forward. If I hadn't obeyed, I would have been trampled. If I hadn't followed exactly in the footsteps of the guide, I might have stepped on something, or I might have gotten lost. This is what the Holy Spirit does for us. He guides us. And he keeps us safe in the process. He takes away the damage that fear can cause by giving us a way to walk through it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thy rod and thy staff comfort me. And in that, he vouches for our identity as we go. I love this part. In verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. He even promises a future reward if we'll walk with him, if we'll use the guide that we've been given. Verse 17, now, if we are children, then we're heirs, and heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. There's promise even attached to the promise The promise is we have a guide. We have somebody who will do that for us. And then the promise on top of the promise is that we get to be co-heirs with Christ. It's an amazing passage. There was an article in the Chicago Tribune on Sunday of February 6, 2005, entitled The Mystery of the Missing Owner. It was a supplement. It was actually a legal notice that was published by the Illinois State Treasurer's Office seeking to give money away to its rightful owners. The context of an abandoned safe deposit box, forgotten bank accounts, security deposit checks, uncashed paychecks, and dividend checks. Listen, folks, this is kind of interesting. More than a billion dollars is owed to nearly 5 million people and businesses that the treasurer's office cannot trace. The front page of the supplement listed names and last known addresses of 10 individuals or couples that were each owed over $100,000. And what followed were 116 pages packed tightly with the names of more people. 113,000 names of people all owed more than $100 in cash or in stocks. Now, we think about them. and we think, well, that, what, a, what a shame that people would be unaware of these treasures that are really theirs. But isn't that exactly the condition of so many Christians who live without taking advantage of the Holy Spirit's promise to guide, to lead us into peace and strength and comfort and wisdom and love and a host of other spiritual resources, because we are heirs with Christ Jesus. All of the riches of God are ours in Christ Jesus. What treasures are we missing, folks? What treasures are you missing? What am I missing? Because I'm not leaning in to the Holy Spirit and taking advantage of the guide that I've been given to walk me into those things. Think about this. We have this amazing possibility available to us a real, living, dynamic relationship with someone who wants to guide us into an abundant life with Christ, a life that will afford us God's riches in Christ Jesus. All the peace, all the provision, all the joy, all the rest, all the wisdom, all the love, and much, much more. Isn't it time to go for it? You know, the next time the enemy comes knocking on the door, which you'll probably do this afternoon, you have the opportunity to say, no, I have a better offer and follow after the Holy Spirit. The next time you're tempted to get angry at that driver or that store clerk or whoever that's not paying attention or not doing what you think they ought to do at the time that they ought to do it, you have the opportunity to go a different direction and lean into the Holy Spirit and just smile and spread some joy because it'll infect you. It'll change you, and it'll change your situation as well. And even if the circumstance doesn't change, even if that other person continues to be a problem, okay, what happens inside of you is still worth it if you take the time to lean into the one who will lead you into joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you. You're just amazing. You give us all these resources. And Father, I have to admit, there are so many times when I am just so cotton-picking lame because I don't take advantage of that. I want what I want when I want it. And Father, I just bowl right over that. And I pay no attention to the Holy Spirit. So I'm asking, Father, on my behalf, on our behalf, Father, that you would pull us up short and remind us in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of those things that drive us crazy, you'd pull us up short and whisper in our ear to lean into the Holy Spirit, to lean into joy, to lean into peace and rest and wisdom, and mostly to lean into your love for us. I believe if we do that, Father, I believe our lives will be instantly changed. We won't look like we did before to us or to anyone else. Thank you that you make that available to us. Give us the courage to step into making it a reality. In Jesus' name, amen.